0: You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. For more great shows, like the one you're about to enjoy, visit electronicmediacollective.com. And now, our feature presentation. My
1: time is yours. I was the last My man standing. It's I am the man, and the man feels no pressure.
0: You are facing
2: a fuel-injected suicide machine. Fear from the man that rules the world.
0: I'm the man when I walk the ground shakes.
2: I am the master. I am the ruler.
3: You. you are now entering the vicious circle. Welcome back to the Vicious Circle. We are again, Sid, Barry, you guys have been great this weekend.
2: You have too, Rob. I want to tell you really thanks for coming in and um we've had a good time. I know Barry's had a good time. And I told both of you guys, talked to each of you separately, that the two of you once you meet, you're really going to get along. You guys I think become pretty good friends this weekend. Oh, absolutely. Like I can't wait to talk to him again. Really? Yeah,
3: I know
1: I I don't hear that often.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He- no. no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> so what we're going to do at the end of this episode, we're going to recap everything we've done this weekend. Because we recorded a lot of these episodes this weekend. Sure. And there's been a lot of other stuff going on this weekend. So we'll recap all of that. Right now, we're going to wrap up half of your time in the WWE. OK. Because we got, last time you were coming out, you were going to be the guest ref at summer. Oh, is it SummerSlam. Yeah, yeah, yeah so, SummerSlam. Yeah. So now, when they first rolled you out... Um, there was not a lot of televised stuff going on. It was all challenge matches, right? Like people would come down to the ring. I think the first ones were like Mountie and Earthquake, and they would challenge anybody in the building, right? And you would show up, right? Was that something they did on purpose, or was this before the Warrior quit? This is
2: uh, before the, the Warrior quit, got fired, or whatever. Or, yes. I, re- I think they were just doing it. One day, it was teaching me how to, you know, you know. The, what reaction I would get you know because I hadn't had any TV since WCW and WCW I was you know pretty much a heel there so they I think they just wanted to see the reaction you know it's weird too you you mentioned the earthquake they wanted me to earth, you know, power bomb him and the typhoon I don't think earthquake came I think I changed that I think we did the Mounty. I did it to the Mounty twice and uh, I think I might have did it Ted DiBiase but I remember them asking me uh, could you uh, do it to uh, you know Typhoon. This guy's like seven hundred pounds. I couldn't even bend him over. I was yeah. looking at, him, man, are you being serious? <laughs> you know, uh, no, I can't do that. You know, uh, again, that's again, it was, it wasn't, it was a struggle all the time with those guys. You know, but no, I remember the mounting. The mounting didn't want to do it because it was a tough finish. And the rings were horrible in the WWF. They were really stiff, you know. Yeah. And that power bomb was a tough finish, you know. So I remember him saying, man, could you do something different and <laughs> deal about it? Nothing against him, but, you know, I always said, you know, I'm an opportunist. That's what the people want to see. That's devastating, and I'm trying to get over it. Now, they said, this is what we got to do. Can you, know you do it mean? softer? <laughs> <Can you> do- <laughs> no, sometimes you can't. But, no, uh, I try to, you know, do it pretty good, guys, but uh, no, take it easy on but." No, it was, we did things like that. And then they did little images of like, they'd show me like they'd be a, in between a segment. And it would just show a, just a blur of me and I might be smiling or just looking, you know, just, and they would never mention that that, that, that vision showed up. Okay. You know, which was, I think that was all cool stuff. And it would, would have worked if you would have done that for a year. You Can't do it one time. <laughs> yeah, it's
3: not a lot of buildup. <laughs> it's not a lot of buildup. Because I know right from there, and it was July 8th, you cut your first promo on TV. Like, do you remember that promo at all? I got to be honest, I had plans to try and find it and pull it up and all that, but I couldn't find it, and I didn't dig very hard, so.
2: No, I don't. Um. I know.
1: <laughs> no, I really <laughs> Not don't. saying it.
3: Bad research. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so it, from their introduction to that promo was pretty darn quick. And then uh, you had your first televised match against DiBiase right and i, I wrote broke down the time because like uh we had someone call in with a question and that match was five minutes and 27 seconds really yeah your first match so yeah like you said they were the fast matches you know that was back in the early 90s too so that right. was you know tv time you get in there get it done and boom right gotcha So then you did a few more matches. Um, There was, uh, again, Warlord and (laughs) Typhoon. Yeah, there was one with Typhoon. (laughs) Yeah. But they were challenge matches again. They weren't televised. And you weren't seen again until you did a run-in to save Hogan against Slaughter. Now, I don't know how much of that you remember. Like, this this first part, I remember you and I talking just about it. It's it's a
2: blurry. It really is. You know, um, there was, because, you know, like, sometimes I might show up and, do a match that someone wasn't able to make. And like, I remember taking Flair's place one time cause he wasn't able to make a show. So I was doing so many fill ins and then they were putting me sometimes in, in house shows where I wouldn't advertise just to keep the ring rust off. And just, again, just see what kind of response I got. Cause I remember, I think I worked with everybody. Mike Rotunda, Hercules. I mean, I'm almost everyone, baby faces, heels. You know, I just, they would bring me in and, Uh, Like I said, unannounced, and I'd have a match, you know, or those challenge things, you know.
3: Well, I know one of the topics I do want to do one of these episodes on because I found it when I was researching is it showed a date and it listed everything that was done that day, okay? But it would list, okay, television taping for superstars, and this matches, this matches. Cutting promos, this was cut, this was cut. Like, it was a full list of stuff that happened in one day for many shows that weren't televised that day. So I'd want to sit down with you one day, and we're going to kind of talk about this event, like how they did these kind of things. Sure. So I can see exactly why there was so much confusion, because I was confused just looking at that list. Right. Because, you know, I don't, like, who did what? And it's got dates that aren't the same, and so I definitely want to kind of clear the air on that one. But then we get up to SummerSlam. And have you, had you ever refed before this point? No. No, this was your first time doing your ref. Yeah. Did you have to do any special training for that? No, no, because it's just it's. It, yeah, I don't like saying like it's just refing. Right, but, but honestly, that's it's 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 lower because of what you need to
2: know. Sure. Okay. And what was it like refing? Like that? it was a little uh, awkward. You know, yeah. Uh, I, you know, I really after you know I always give refs hard time. I, you know, I always think of them being the lowest on the totem pole. They're just you know, just they're pawns in our game. But I really. Got to respect them a little bit. You know, you got to be in the right place. You got to, uh, it's it's an uncomfortable position to be in. And when I used to make refs uncomfortable, I see why now because you, you really can get buried out there looking, you really look stupid really quick, or those wrestlers, the wrestlers can make you look really stupid really quick, you know. But no, um, it was awkward and gave me a little bit of appreciation for the referees. I guess you get that with anything. If you don't do the rule, it's right. hard to know. It really is. And you know what, too? You know, I did get a chance to meet some really good referees. Like, when, say, for instance, one um, of the guys in the match would be dragging and not doing something, you know, uh, Pee Wee Anderson, a little bit of a smartass. But I heard him, you know, get a guy like Pez Wally, come on, Pez, get going. You know, pump it, you know, like really making. you know, pick it up a notch. So, you know, there were some cool refs out there. Now I like to, um, of course, we all like them as They were stooges, but that was a part of the job description. uh. I, I used to like that one ref for WCW. Uh, I think he was gay. Um, he was around forever, but he was one of the coolest, really nice guys, nicest guys I've ever met. I think he was a really. He was always ref. He always ref Flair's matches. You know what I'm talking. I know. About. I, I, I'm I'm drawing a blank to you, but I know who you mean. Really super nice guy, uh, but I think he was one of the you know maybe underrated refs of all time. Really. Yeah. Okay. So.
3: With this whole event, you you came out, you did the 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 guest refereeing, and then you did the pose down. Right. We now know, like you said, because of the last time that this was an afterthought after the warrior incident. Right. So how did they explain that to you? That this is going to be your your push now. Not it's not what we talked
2: about, but this. Just that they said, "Hey man, um, we're having problems with the warrior. We're going to, you know, after the match, we're going to come. He's going to come through the curtains." We're gonna fire him and you're gonna go out there and do the pose down the Hogan and you're gonna start the next night taking his place in the shows that he was advertised to be on. So, you know, I'm a replacement, really my first gig, you know, I'm thinking, wow, man, this is horrible. You know, but you know, you have to do what you have to do, and what am i gonna do, you know, boycott, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's true. So then later on in that pay per
3: view, you also got to save a wedding. Cause it was Jake the Snake coming out to bother the wedding of Savage and Elizabeth. Right. And you broke it up. Right. Because I remember the, there's the immortal words,
2: thank God for Sid Justice. Justice yeah. Yes. I, I remember that. <laughs> I was just thinking that before you said that. Yeah, I remember that. Now, what happened there, you know, I tore my bicep in a, in a match with Jake Roberts before that. And then I think, I swear, I remember very little of that. But I, that's where, you know, Randy... No, I think Randy was really, they were going to get married. I think he was going to take some time off. And uh, he had to come back to do that and take my place because I had to have bicep surgery. Okay. Yeah, that
3: explains what happens a little bit later. Because, okay, we'll we'll just jump right ahead then. Um, because there was about a month where you wrestled, it looked like Jake the Snake and Undertaker off and on. Different house right. shows, different the other shows. Then you came up against the match. Um And this was the one I talked to you about. You didn't remember it fully. And I don't remember ever watching this. But I remember everything else that I looked up. This was a match that was supposed to be against El Diablo, who was a masked wrestler. Um, Undertaker came out and El Diablo disappeared with a briefcase. Supposedly paid off. So the match continued with you against Taker. El Diablo comes out. As he's around ringside, he unmasks himself, and it's
2: Jake. Yeah, I was fixing. They had to be Jake. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah.
3: And, of course, in the briefcase is Damien. Right. And again, this is where the story comes out that you were the person originally supposed to take the bite. Right, and I it, was. At that at
2: that event. What what changed there? When I
3: tore my bicep. They knew you know, they couldn't mess with your arms. And
2: Yeah, I couldn't. Well, I had surgery. I couldn't do the angle. Gotcha.
3: Okay, because it was, yeah, at that point they gave you a bit of time off and you went to go have this surgery done. Right. And that's when Savage came back and and did some covering. Excellent. We're going to stop that part there because that sets us up perfectly for the next half. Okay. And we definitely want to talk about this weekend because so much got done this weekend. Right. I know we recorded a whole lot of episodes, did a whole lot of call-ins with a bunch of people. And Barry has been working feverishly on this book yes he has and some of the stuff that i know i've personally read i've only read a few excerpts what have you with what you've read what do you think
2: man i i, I love it and the, the changes we're making and i i think we talked about it over dinner tonight. this is going to be something once we we keep adding and, and, and get this thing finished it, i think it's going to be really really good i think so too and different it is different, and, uh, and Barry is the one that's able to do that. He's really great with that writing, you know. And, and then I could put one little thing in there, and it just makes it 10 times better than what I said, you know. Yeah, and there, I think people are going to understand that from
3: you and from everything that you're, you're touching right now. Right. There's always going to be a little different. Like last episode, right. we had you were kicked out of the studio. Right. Yes, and now this book is going to be a little different. Can you explain how that's going to be?
1: It's Well, most people, especially any type of professional athlete, professional wrestling, they always have the typical biography. I, my dad gave me a football, or he took me to my first wrestling match. And then it goes in this very, very linear thing. About then I became a high school, and I was a high school athlete, and I did wrestling. And it's you can almost interchange any one of these. No, there, there's just not a whole lot of difference. There's just, I, my personal, and I've read a whole lot of biographies, it's not like they're all bad. <laughs> but it's, it's almost like a hallmark. No type of thing, a made-for-TV movie, a made-for-the-common-person you know the, the common person book. And Sid's not a common person since we've been friends for so long, so I know him both in and outside the ring. And one of the main things that Sid has been talking about for quite a long time is I want you to come down here, I want you to see where I grow up, I want you to see the landscape. When I tell you i, I walk for miles and miles and miles with my friends through tons of... La- I mean, he knows even though I'm, I'm a writer, I'm also a filmmaker like you are, which means I'm a visual person. And it makes a huge difference to get the context. When Sid is telling a story, when I was 10 years old, my friends, and we did this, and we walked 20, 30, maybe 40 miles, who knows? And it sounds like hyperbole, you know, which no wrestlers are never known for doing. <laughs> but now you come down here and you see it. And, you, and, and, he, and he says, I, I know the part of uh, Tennessee, he grew up, Arkansas, that he grew up. And I knew it was, no, it was rough living, it was poor. But it, you can't, I mean, you get one image of maybe the Grapes of Wrath movie with, you know, with Henry Fonda, but it's not really... I I wanted to see, and this is what he wanted to show me, this is where I grew up. This is how it happened. This is the school. These are the houses. And now it it puts a lot more meat on the bone for me to try to visualize through Sid. As we discussed before, my job as, as a writer for this is to put my style through Sid's vision as to what he actually went through and what he felt and what it was like being him going through this. And so that's a major challenge. And the other thing that we're doing, and hopefully I'm not giving away too much, because obviously like any promotion, you want to keep a little bit of uh, no surprise there, is this isn't going to be a linear book. To me, it's not as interesting to just go, and then then I became 10, and then went to high school and all this. So we start talking about one story, and for some reason it just seems perfectly that at the end of that story, it might give you some context about something that happened before. So then you go back in the timeline. I mean, this is almost like, I guess, Pulp Fiction, where you, where you can go in and out of the timeline, and it sounds confusing when you discuss it, but it's not because you've seen something now, and then you go back to it, which makes what you read before make more sense. Now you have the, the context of those two events and those two time periods in his life, and then you're going ahead someplace else. It's, it's actually writing itself that way. It's not like this was so contrived, like a, a gimmick you know, to try to do, to try to make this book different. I hate doing anything, whether it's making a film, writing a book, or writing a story, different for the sake of being different, because then you're pretentious. You no, know, then it's precious, and and the last thing anyone wants to do, I I think, is to have this be precious writing. So yeah. it's it, it's been unbelievably you no know, challenging and exhilarating, exhausting and wonderful to visually see, and you were there with us, when we were going through, you know, riding along all these places, and one of the main things is, I mean, a little thing is, how do you get around here? Every single road is exactly the same, going through miles and miles and miles of farmland with, you know, huge acreage on one side, huge amounts of acreage on the other, then you pass some of the houses where the field hands live, and it's like, you know, this is before GPS, this is before anything like that. How, I mean, a little thing like that, I'm thinking what it was like to be nine years old, you know, six years old, 12 years old, and you're with your friends constantly roaming this area. Maybe you don't have enough money to have anything you know, for lunch that day. You're, you, know, you, you have your guns, whatever, you're going to hunting, you might find something. So, on the one hand, it sounds like, and it's not supposed to be this hard, scrabble life, poor me, look how I had to grow up. It's just fascinating, though. And then you know, some people who know you, know, 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 as a wrestler, they, they, know, once again, the whole idea is you think you know me. Right. And a lot of us don't know ourselves. I mean, I've written two books you know, about parts of my life, and a lot of things by writing it, thinking about it, you learn from, I never thought of myself in that way. So I'm learning more, more about my friend, Sid, from 30 years. He's learning some yeah. things about it, and the whole idea for any reader, hopefully, you no, know, if I do my job, I mean Sid is doing his job. He is explaining things. He's going over things. He's really telling me what it felt like to be him at that moment, what emotion he was feeling, and why he was feeling it. Why this meant something to him. Why this was, you know, incredibly horrible to happen. Why this was exhilarating. <clears throat> and it's like if if you see you know a, a film that gets you that that type of roller coaster ride, where you're getting the emotions of the characters, and. This is what we're trying to do, and Sid is doing a great job taking us on this journey through his life, through the physical landscape, and then to the emotional part by what's going on in his head and his heart during these times, and it's amazing, and hopefully I'll be able to capture that. And too, I, I think that's important. I, the couple, uh, One of the guys that called
2: about wanting to maybe write the book, I insisted for this to happen, and he didn't want, want to come here, and then Barry was at the time way too busy. But I want, you know, Barry also is the one that brought up about having you here at the same time. You know, doing this podcast, you get to go down these same roads. And so when we're talking about it or, you know, you know what we're talking about, you know, when we're promoting the book, you actually seen part of this. You're in the beginning parts of the stages, of the beginning writing of it. You'll be here at the end, so you'll know, too. And it's, to me, again, if you, know, if you can see, you know, not that it matters, but, you know, me and Barry, uh, the first day we went down, from where it really started over as a kid at Six O One Johnson, we went you know, the way I would have left the house to get to the fields, to the you know to the railroad tracks that got me you know to the Mississippi River to our hunting and fishing. Well, that same trail was the, the same trail that that you know the, those three kids were killed, at the West Memphis Three. You know, so there's a lot of stories. You know, we, we're walking down the same ditches, so there's a lot of stories that go with this. This neighborhood is a little crazy, you know. Well, like the other one too, when we went out to the twist, er, and there's right. the signs for BB B. King. Right, right, like, right. It's not just your history; it's history. It's history here, man. BB, that, like that place. And it was. If you remember, it was why the name of the guitar was Lucille. It said, you know, two guys had gotten a fight over, and a, a fire broke out. Just so happens, you know, that's the farm I worked on, and the guy I worked with was Joe Mason. His he was the one that saved BB King's life. B.B. King had passed out of smoking ventilation and uh, went in and saved him and the guitar. And I remember B.B. B. King as a kid being on Johnny Carson and telling that story and seeing him come out the next day in a limo and picked up Joe Mason and took him for a ride. So, you know, I seen that, was there, that's where I worked at, you know. So, you know, that was a just, again, great memories as a kid. You can't beat that, you know. No,
3: and to speak of how you're <laughs> writing it, if you notice, this is... <clears throat> This is the most accurate way to write Sid, because after people listening to this pod, they know, like, we will talk about something, and there's tangents. Right. Like, even last episode, we talked about the beginning of the W, like, getting ready to go to the WWE, and you had talked about one thing, and then, boom, you talked about why you left, and then talked about how you came back the second time. Right. And that was all just from talking about that one moment right. before you even got there. Right. Right. So yeah, that is. I think that's the most accurate way to write a book about Sid. Right.
1: Well, to, to me, if you're writing about someone else's life, I mean, I mean, to, to me, the most interesting people are the ones that you want to be at a dinner party with and, and get wrapped up in conversation. And good conversation, once again, to me, subjectively, but I, I think you guys agree, is someone that you can go on and on listening about because you to, don't know where the conversation's going to go. Right. And it's always going to be a surprise. It's always going to be a twist. It's always going to be a turn. And it doesn't have to be, you know, beginning, middle, and da-da, like that. Okay, that's it, now I'm onto this story. And the person would actually have to say, and there was that story, and now there's you no, know, then right after that came this. So, I once again, trying to channel you know, Sid's voice, and once again, it's always gonna be obviously combined a little bit with my own, there's just no way around that, and I definitely have a certain writing style, which is, um, I, I was a big reader of, of, of the beat poets and people like Jack Kerouac on the road, and I have a big believer of what he did, spontaneous prose to get a a visceral visceral experience of what someone's life is like, you just have to let, I, I visualize the places we've been to, I think about all the things you tell me, and then I just try to think, this is Sid's life and see where the writing goes. Right. I mean, just let it, just let it fly. If you think too hard about it, if you just spend every single minute, no, I get to make this the perfect sentence, exactly what, you no, know, then you're overthinking it. Right. I'm sure that's what like with you uh, in the ring sometimes. Sure. If you, if you overthought it, you would, you, you could always overthink and it. And it's not going to be a great match. It's not going to be right. fluid. It's not going to be coming from the visible, you know, well, things of what the audience is telling you. Well, we,
2: I've talked about you know, Some people said What are your greatest matches I said Some were with Bam Bam Bigelow And some were with Vader well, The first time Working with Vader We both were trying too hard And it was horrible So we slew it down We slowed it down To a A standing wrist lock And then we tore it up And that's how I got off the whipping post So we We did try too hard And then by not trying so hard Just doing what was natural were two big guys Stop this Mexican High spot match And slow it down you know, And then we won them over You know you really you can't overthink way too easy. It is easy to do though, yeah. like you said.
3: So yeah, I'm I, I'm excited because, like I said, I've read a couple of those excerpts, and it does. It feels like you're sitting in a room with you. Yeah, you know, I can hear you in there, but it's it's definitely <laughs> yes. Sid, which I think people are going to get excited about. Me too. And it's really cool because since this this pod has started, it's when the book is really kicked off. So it's like people listening are going to be in this journey of you
2: creating the book as well. Sure. That's what I'm looking forward to, and, and that's sharing it with everyone.
1: And I, and I think we're, gonna, we're going to, there's a lot of people's expectations, the people that know you have been a fan of you, have followed your career. I'm hoping that they will be surprised that, once again, they, they have a certain pigeonhole idea of you because they've only seen this tiny fraction of right. you in the ring. And, of course, as a professional wrestler, you're, you're adopting personas. Obviously, in any persona, a little bit of you comes out because that's the best way to to do something, but it's just a little tiny fraction of you of who you are right and of course, since we're going over everything and obviously wrestling is going to be in the book it's a, it's definitely an important part of it but any Book about a famous person, whether it's an actor, a professional wrestler, uh, you know, a professional baseball player. Everyone wants to get. I want to know what happened on the field. I want to know, I'll know whose wife you were sleeping with yeah. and all that stuff. As yeah. you know, professional wrestling, any sport or entertainment figure, it's always the dirt. It's a, it's always I want to yeah. be I yeah. want to be titillating. I want I want I want to know who you were doing this to and what all these horrible things that happened and that, you know, and those things did happen. But to me, that's not most most interesting part. No. Oh. I mean, the most interesting part is, once again, I see that miles and miles and miles of hardtack straight road going through farmland, and imagine what it would that be like to grow up there year after year after year with the... Type of friendships you had, and once again, as you mentioned many times, and you mentioned it a few minutes ago about BB King right. and things like that. No, how music was a major thing. And I'm hoping when 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 they read uh, the the part about you driving in, in in your Camaro, blasting the radio, I want them to think that they're in the seat next to you. Right, me too. That yeah. they can that they can hear the song, they can understand why well, you're playing it, why it's important to you, and what that must be feel like to be you. Right, in that place at that time with this song on the radio, and I'm hoping that they actually can can experience it, not just think. That they're reading about it, right? Exactly.
2: One of the things we were, you know, going over in the book yesterday was about that one little thing we put in there about, you know, the rain coming off, you know, top of my, you know, brim of my hat, and also smelling the honeysuckle. When you, you, I want them people actually feel like they're walking across that field with me, you know, carrying that shotgun, looking for, you know, that that adventure, because that's all it was, guys. You know, I told. Y'all, today we killed very few things. There were very there a lot of stuff to kill, but it was just adventure being there. Sometimes we just sit back, put our guns up against a tree, and lay back in the leaves and sit there and dream what we wanted to be—race car drivers or something like that. Just like normal, five, you know, fifth grade or sixth grade kids would do. And then, oh yeah, we're hunting. Let's go back to hunting, you know. But it was just like it was just like Huckleberry Finn for us every every
1: weekend of our lives. It was great. And like I said, that's one of the things that fascinates me is we're, we're, we're very close in age, only a few years apart. I grew up, you know, in Boston, you know, very, very urban, very, very different. And you know, I, I have lived in the South for 20 years, lived in Atlanta, but obviously that's very, very different you know, than this part of Arkansas. I lived in Florida. So to me, this was an, a, a universal way. I mean, this is, I mean, this is a life I couldn't imagine for myself. I mean, we have certain things in common. We were both bullied as kids. People say, oh, you're so big, and I'm, I'm, I'm not that small myself. And people, when they see us now, they can't imagine that. But obviously, the way it happened for me and the way it happened for you was very, very, very different. Right. And then how we grew up and how we were raised and what you were going through uh, you know, with, uh, you know, with, with your parents and, and, and stepfathers and things like that it was very, very different. There are some similarities. Yeah. But once again, I think for someone like me that didn't live anything like this, and then to try to write it from your point of view with a little bit of my vision makes it makes it interesting because because I'm experiencing for the same for, for the first time as I'm actually sometimes writing it. We 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 drove around places. You and I've been friends for a long time. I knew some of the stuff. I'm learning more and more, and things like that absolutely. Surprised what are you trying to say? I sound like an educated redneck.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, but no, it is. It's it's really got a cool twist to it, and I, I've had a few people try to write and, and I read it. And you can tell right away, that's not me saying that. But when I read this, what Barry's doing, it's it's me. It is. It is. So I am excited for people to read this. Me too. I'm excited to get, we're just, you know, we got a couple more days together here. We're going to really knock it out.
3: Excellent. All right. Well, in that case, let's get to a question. Okay, man. My time is yours. And now we have a question from Benner from Guelph, Ontario. Benner, what have you got for us?
0: Uh, Yeah, so uh, I just had a quick question in regards to um, uh, with you, like, so, excuse me, Sid, so you were like in right in the mix of the last sort of wrestling war, right, between WCW and WWE, and that's kind of disappeared for a long time. Um, With AEW, uh, coming into sort of the fold now, as far as as part of the wrestling business, um, a lot of people talk about Vince. We don't really need to talk about you know everyone knows you know the stories about Vince and that sort of thing. But I always felt like there wasn't a lot of um, on the other side. There wasn't a guy that could really go toe to toe with him. Maybe Bischoff, but uh, and and you know. Heyman at the same time was a little bit, uh, um, you know, pulled back from from that war. But with AEW coming in, and just with your relation to, um, you know, Dusty Rhodes and that sort of thing in the past, do you think Cody might be that guy? Like Cody Rhodes might be the guy to kind of really give Vince a run for his money eventually, um, because he understands the business and and uh, and as well, like both both in the ring and out of the ring more than more than most. Or what's your take on that?
2: <clears throat> really don't <clears throat> know Cody that well, but I do believe, like you said who his father was stuff like he knows the business he's got everything behind him right now you know he's got evidently a good backer he's got a pretty good product out there and then he you know he knows enough about wrestling he's a, and he's a really good wrestler but what i was what happens is he's not the only one on that show there's a lot of other guys on that show and uh, i watched it a few weeks ago and i think i told robert and um a couple guys that does his podcast I said, what I was worried about, and I think it's already showed this, and everybody I've talked to sort of agrees, that what they did by going on TV is they exposed themselves for what they are not, unfortunately. Now, I want to see them do well because when they do well, even these little autograph signings I do, uh, they pick up momentum. And then, not just for me, but for all the guys. And we like to see 10 more territories going where everyone could be ha- have more jobs out there than the wrestlers again. But it's just not going to be the case but now i think they've got a good deal i think their advantage is this okay to where we watch the two shows you know rob's heard me say this a bunch of times you're taking all the talent you're lining up on a a go a start line and you say okay guys i want you all run to this line ahead of you in front of you you all have to stop right there so the guys that say like cody Rhodes, i saw cody um on the WWE channel for is doing that stardust thing. I thought he was really, really good at that. From my understanding. That's what it, the real, the real, the real reason he didn't want to be there anymore. So he's a heck of a worker. And so now he's not in the, on that line. Now he's able to pat run past that, that ending line that he was asked to stop at. So that alone is going to give him a, and everyone in that territory, uh, you know, make them make it able for them to, do a better match and make the people enjoy it more because I think that's sort of the downfall of uh, WWE is that they got all this talent and everything's so scripted out um, that you can see through it. Now, the only downside, I mean, one of the bad sides of not scripting everything out when I saw their, uh, where they had that big melee like the second and third week when they went into the concession stand which all territories have done that before, it just looked like it could have been a little better when you don't script things out like that right there then it it sort of exposes it now their matches a whole lot better than the WWE's right now um again I I just I think they've got a really good chance but now that Vince has gone to Fox and and strengthened his game up I this the thing is and this is just hearsay um someone told me that where the ratings are about equal and that's a good sign. You would like to see them maybe a little above it. But they're saying right now what's happening when they do their television tapings they're doing now, they're not sold out anymore. And that worried me because they were doing so well uh, by doing all these sellouts without having any, any television time. So, so, Rob, if you remember, like I said in the beginning of this, this long answer, that TV would expose
0: them. And I think it's, it's already proven that, unfortunately. So, if I can just get a quick follow up to that, you mentioned scripting for 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 promos and that sort of thing. Um, it's like I think that's the biggest the biggest benefit from AEW. I think that's what people are seeing is that guys can come out. I think mean, Cody and the only reason I mentioned Cody is he he came out and did that promo before Full Gear, which was just off the hook. Like everyone in the business was saying it was one of the best promos they'd seen in a long time. How 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 scripted was were things back in back in the day when you were when you were main eventing and, and that sort of thing? Because because I remember a lot of your promos kind of being a little off the hook too. I mean, just, it didn't, didn't seem scripted. It seemed like it was just two guys in a ring going at one another. Is that a fair, is that a fair assessment or, or has it, was it just as scripted then as it was now? No, that's
2: a real fair assessment. You no, know, for instance, they might come up maybe twice in my whole career had something. They just really wanted me to say. It wasn't that much of a, say that, that many words for an interview. Um, for the most part, we got to do what we wanted to, and I'll give you a good example. One time, I was doing a live interview with Shawn Michaels, and, it, and I already knew that I was going to win the belt at uh, Survivor Series. So he he went first. I let him go first, and when I went the next time, I was a- able to say this: cause I already knew the outcome. I said, "Shawn, what the problem is here? This is a big man sport, and you're a little bitty guy, you know." So I got to put that dig into him. But they don't allow that to happen anymore. Both of them come out sort of even. And then again, what that does guys is that says, okay, I want you to run to that finish line. I want you to all stop right there. So if everybody's stopping there, the guys that maybe do excel interviews or do excel in their appearance or do sell, you know, for me one of the things I think I did well was I was an opportunist as a is a hill in the business and really got took it, you know, all the chances to get myself over. You don't see that either because things are scripted work. Uh, when I did that anniversary show with Working with Heath Slater He was really wanting to change one word In the interview And the one word, I can't remember what it was right now But the one word was really Would have made the interview a little bit better And he says, no, nah, I don't want to get in trouble Well, in my day, man I would have thrown that away and did my own interview You know, and being live TV Can't really do anything about it You know
3: <laughs> That's awesome Alright, right, thank you so much, Benner Thanks, Sid, and we're going to get ready for another episode You've been listening to the Vicious Circle Podcast. Your host, Sid Udy. Co-host, J. Robert Bellamy. Additional research by Pete Marsh. The Vicious Circle Podcast was produced by Two Cousin Road Trip Media, a division of JX3 Media Productions. The intro music, Omega Amigo, was by The Shaman. All rights to the podcast are held by Sid Udi.